Are you really patching yourself up with duct tape? Yes. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but this whole operation is Band-Aids and duct tape. Man, this is insane. We are headed to outer space. You acting like we on our way to Home Depot. This is ridiculous, man. I'm about to abort. And yet, we seem to be inching ever closer to a future where going to outer space is as easy as taking a trip to Home Depot. That was a clip from Fast and Furious 9, where the ever-ridiculous protagonist team of street racers decide to launch a Pontiac Fiero into space. I wish I could tell you why, but I haven't seen the movie. What I have seen, however, are not one, but two billionaires in recent weeks sending themselves to space and promoting the so-called space tourism industry by selling tickets on their rocket trips. We've even heard that a space hotel called Voyager Station is set to open by 2027. So with all this buzz about space tourism, I think it's high time we take a step back and talk about where this industry came from, where it's going, and what that means for us. I'm Sam Marchetti, and welcome back to On the Sidelines. Joining us on the sidelines today to talk about space tourism is Connor McLean, a communications expert, co-founder of Science for Everyone, and a regular host of this podcast. Thanks for joining us, Connor. Happy to be here as always, Sam. <laughs> so back in the day, the only people going to space were like NASA and, you know, like the Russians. Like it was always like government organizations. You know, I know Canada, we made like the Canada arm for the space station and stuff, but it was always governments. So what barriers have been broken down to allow just like people to go like Richard Branson, Elon Musk, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. Like, <laughs> What are the barriers here? And yeah. Well, I think the biggest barrier was a money. Right. These government organizations, NASA, Canadian Space Agency, European Space Agency, so on, they're funded. They have a ton of money and they have a ton of researchers. Uh, but as these billionaires have an interest, like an interest in space, they say, I can start a rocket company. I can hire researchers to figure out what fuels to use and how we can get up to space and come back down safely. Um, and, and it basically just becomes a really, really expensive joyride. Um, and especially as like the technology becomes easily accessible, right? With all the technological advancements, anyone can, well, I say anyone, but anyone with a lot of money and a lot of research can build a rocket um, and, and power it, right? So I think the biggest thing has just been funding and interest, right? So it's not it's not necessarily a question of governments having removed some kind of regulation. It's just that there are, you know, like enormously rich people now. And we didn't used to have people that were rich on that scale with technology as, you know, accessible as it is now. Yeah, exactly. And and we're increasing the amount of satellites that are going up in orbit. So that's more of like a privatized industry as well. It's not just limited to NASA or government organizations. So then that Technology, how do we get satellites in space? Well, can we do the same thing for people? Um, and these people with a lot of money said, great, I want to go do that. And that's what they've been doing. So we talk about people with a lot of money. Are we anywhere close to reasonably priced space travel? Like, can I send myself um, up in a rocket anytime soon? Can you send yourself up in a rocket? Probably not. Probably not, unless you have millions and millions of dollars laying around. You see, it's like the ultra wealthy massive celebrities are like signing up for these trips um but everyday people like you and i um no 
probably not going to go to space Too bad. anytime soon. It's on Too my bad. bucket list. Uh, we were asked by one of our listeners to uh, to to ask what do what do you do when you get to space? What is the point of space tourism? Because you go there and then your options of what to do are just inherently limited compared to what you could be doing on Earth. Yeah, I think you just be in space and then you say, "I got to be in space." I've but been in space. <laughs> does that technically make you an astronaut? Can you say that I'm now an astronaut? Probably not. I think they changed the definition of an astronaut to be crucial to the space flight um, so that not anyone who goes to space can just say, I'm now an astronaut, because then that just diminishes the title. So there's not much you can do. You can just kind of sit there in space. Hear that, Bezos? You're not an astronaut. <laughs> ruin his day when he hears this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so what's we're hearing a lot of criti- criticism of these billionaires launching themselves into space. What's the criticism kind of centered on here? Um. Well, there's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of different impacts of space tourism on society, on economy, on environment. Um, the biggest thing is that people find it's a an absolute waste of money, spending millions, billions of dollars to build these rockets just to take a quick three-minute joyride above the Kármán line into space, sometimes not even getting there. Um, and then you can use that money to do like literally anything else, right? They have all these evaluations to say, you could fight climate change, you could end homelessness, you could house like all these people, you could help all these groups. uh, And instead you are launching yourself on a rocket into space. And so the criticism is largely just that they're being selfish and stupid with the money. A lot of of selfishness. And then what do those space launches then mean for all the people that can't afford to go on a space launch, right? There's a ton of environmental considerations when it comes to space travel, which is why like, it wasn't always done that often, right? But as you increase the frequency of all these launches to span an entire industry, right, it becomes extremely, extremely detrimental for the environment. Um, they, they estimate that one space launch is like 100 commercial flights per person, right? So if you have four... Uh, not astronauts, four passengers on a space flight. That's like them each taking 100 trips across the ocean on a flight, commercial flight, and they're wasting and polluting all that, all those greenhouse gas emissions for what? Wow. And this this really feels like a link back to our, uh, our last episode where we talked about um, basically how big corporations and the, the ultra wealthy are responsible for most of our greenhouse gas emissions. This is a very literal yeah. um, embodiment of that. But I thought that when you launch a rocket, I thought it was hydrogen fuel. Um, and I, doesn't hydrogen burn clean? So uh, there are a bunch of different fuels that are out there. Hydrogen is one of them, but you need an oxidizer, right? Uh, and the most common oxidizer for hydrogen is oxygen. So what is an what is an oxidizer? Just to make that clear. So it helps to burn the fuel, right? And that burning that energy creates propulsion which launches the rocket okay so it's like a bit of a it's a bit of like a fire starter kind of these other chemicals yeah exactly um so hydrogen and oxygen it's a liquid fuel um liquid hydrogen oxygen fuel it is very heavy and takes up a lot of space and it's only used in certain parts of certain launches right so if i was to use 
only liquid hydrogen and oxygen for my entire launch in multiple stages of launches, like lift off off the ground, then into space, then into orbit, I would have to have a massive, massive rocket to carry all of that fuel, right? And then what do you do with the weight of those thrusters? Eventually, you have to drop them off. So a lot of uh, space flights only use liquid hydrogen oxygen for certain parts of their launches because it's not feasible to use. It's too heavy. Uh, and then it's also doesn't necessarily generate as much thrust as other fuels might. It, it is good. It's a very green fuel. It only produces water because H and O combines to create H2O, which is great. Very little effect on the atmosphere on greenhouse gases, but you can't use that for everything. So hydrogen might be a clean hydrogen might be a clean fuel, but we're using all these other kind of dirty fuels to supplement. And that's why the rocket launches contribute to climate change. Exactly. Yeah. If you've ever watched a rocket launch, you see they have these massive thrusters and then they they break off and sometimes they'll land back on Earth or they'll drop into the ocean and then secondary ignition happens and they break that part off. Then tertiary ignition happens and they break that part off. Those are all different types of fuels, right? If I was to use a liquid fuel versus a solid fuel, I could carry way more of the solid fuel in a much smaller package because it's more dense. So billionaires launching themselves into space, moral of the story, they are contributing to climate change. What other impacts on the environment are happening when a rocket is launched besides just increasing, you know, the CO2 in the atmosphere? So there's a lot of different things that happen, right? The main one we think of is, oh, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Some other things that happen, though, uh, is as the rockets are launched at extreme speeds and cause extreme heat from the launch, the fuel burning, as well as the friction on the actual rocket going at extreme speeds, you create these really harmful free radicals. Um, so these are different chemicals uh, and molecules in the air that will then bind with ozone. And we, we've heard of the ozone layer way back in the early 2000s. They said, oh, the ozone layer is the hole in it. Um, they'll bind that ozone and they will uh, deplete the ozone layer <laughs> in the atmosphere, which isn't good, indirectly contributes to climate change, but more specifically, it harms human health by allowing a lot of UV radiation from the sun to pass through uh, and, and harm humans. Uh, on top of that, with all of these free radicals, these nitrous oxides that are being created from these launches, these greenhouse gases, those then permeate into the environment around the launch site and in areas that are even further out. So they can combine with clouds and create acid rains and acid rain isn't good um, which will then acidify the soil so that doesn't allow for any plants or wildlife to grow it, it harms biodiversity uh, that's local to the area uh, it can also cause eutrophication which is really harmful for water bodies basically suffocates water bodies and any fish and aquatic life living there it can contaminate your drinking water <laughs> There's so many things that happen in the environment specifically with all these downstream little effects. And it just shows that every single thing in the environment is connected. And when you have this massive, massive outburst of greenhouse gases, of harmful chemicals, right, in these isolated scenarios, they aren't as impactful. But when you scale them to an entire industry and you have so many rocket launches every single year, then that quickly 
becomes extremely, extremely harmful. So as this industry kind of scales up, do you see, you know, a clean alternative future for space tourism using something, you know, besides these harmful chemicals for fuel? Um, honestly, I don't know. That's a that's a great question. There should be some clean alternatives. And in, in the past, a lot of researchers and engineers have only been thinking, what is the cheapest fuel that is the lightest weight possible that generates the most thrust? Those are the three things that people have been considering, right? They're thinking, how can I get this rocket off the ground for the least amount of money, the least amount of weight, and cause the fastest rocket launch? And so now we're trying to think, okay, what is our fourth consideration? What is the greenest fuel option? When you toss that in the mix, there needs to be some sort of research into that. And currently, it's the liquid hydrogen oxygen combination. Uh, and then some people debate the hybrid hydrocarbon plus the mothership launch situation. Um, but really, people don't know. And, and the cleanest alternative, aside from these fuels, is to simply just not launch a ton of rockets into space, especially as we're dealing with an increasingly worse climate crisis. But do we think that's going to happen? Damn, do you think that's going to happen? Who knows? No one knows what the future holds. <laughs> but basically what you're saying is we either need to see um, a serious paradigm shift in the ideas driving this industry, or we need to see a serious, you know, the blockage of this industry before <laughs> exactly. it, it starts causing more issues. Those are basically the only two options out there. And who knows if either of those are being pursued. So there, that's sure. why there's a lot of criticism is, will people make this change in the industry or will they continue? All right, well, thanks, Connor. And thank you again for tuning in. And remember to subscribe for more conversations and some insightful answers to your questions about the science impacting your world. If you want to learn more about space tourism, climate change, or any of the other topics we've talked about on this show, visit us on our Instagram or TikTok at sci for everyone and on our website at scienceforeveryone.ca. For more information on COVID-19 vaccines, check out our sister podcast, Vaccination, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. On the Sidelines is a podcast by Science for Everyone. It's produced by Sam Marchetti, Connor McLean, June Kim, and Cheryl Nguyen, with editorial help provided by Kayla Benjamin. On the Sidelines is sponsored by the University of Toronto's Student Engagement Grant.